Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this, what are the signs of cults and their leaders? Well, in Matthew 24, 11, Jesus said that before his return, many false prophets will appear and deceive people. Peter repeated this warning about false prophets who would introduce destructive heresies in 2 Peter 2, 1. And John also echoed the warning about false prophets going out into the world in 1 John 4, 1, warning us to test them to see if they are from God. And so how do we follow John's advice to test the spirits of those who claim to come in the name of God as revealed in the Word? How can we tell if what they're saying is of God or not? Well, today we're going to talk about a few ways we can distinguish between true and false leaders and the organizations that have grown up around them. But first we need to ask, what is a cult? And so before looking at the signs of the cults and and their leaders, it's important to find what we mean by the term. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a cult as a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Today, common usage goes beyond this simple definition and identifies two identifying attributes of a cult. The first is that their beliefs are considered unorthodox by the church at large. And secondly, they're focused on an individual leader other than Jesus. This this episode is going to use this two-part definition in this episode of what a cult is. But even that definition we need to understand is subjective. Who defines orthodoxy? And how do we determine, I should say, when a charismatic leader replaces Jesus as the head of the church? Well, Merriam-Webster defines orthodoxy as the quality or state of being orthodox. And it defines orthodoxy as conforming to established doctrine, especially in religion. But this definition is not overly helpful since it leaves open the question of what constitutes established doctrine. Some are going to limit orthodoxy to accept it, accept the creeds of the first millennium of church history. Others are going to go the opposite extreme and identify orthodoxy as what conforms to their denomination's established doctrine or even specific interpretations of scripture. And yet I think the best way to explain this in light of church of what the Bible is and the, the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, and then what the church has taught is to define orthodoxy this way. Orthodoxy means that we're adhering not only to what Scripture teaches, but also to what the church has taught. This honors both what the Bible is as authoritative and sufficient and binding on our lives, and it also honors the fact that the, the church has given us uh, clear instruction from Scripture as they read it, as they studied it, and as they interpreted it in the councils of the church and the confessions of the church and in the catechisms of the church. One of the most telling signs of a cult and its leaders concerns the source of their doctrine. 
The Bible should be our authority for our faith, for our practice, since it is sufficient. And while we may refer to other writings at times, those are secondary to the Bible. But cults will invariably fail to remain faithful to the Bible because they have different views of what the Bible is. One of the ways they vary is to cherry-pick through the scripture, looking for passages that support a belief they want to promote and then ignore the rest. For example, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, uh, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. If this is taken out of context with the rest of scripture, it might seem that God wants us all to be materially prosperous. But the bulk of Scripture demonstrates that's not the case. There are a few followers of Christ in the Scripture who are prosperous. Another sign of a cult is placing other writings on par or even above Scripture. A third indication of a false teacher or a cult is their claim that they have the only correct understanding of Scripture. Those People claim that the original meaning of Scripture was lost or corrupted early in church history. And now God has revealed to them the true meaning and original meaning of Scripture. And yet we can come back and say that hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. It's concerned with the question of rightly handling the word as 2 Timothy 2.15 says. That's why we engage the Scriptures because we believe them to be the authoritative and sufficient, and so we're aiming to correctly interpret the word. Not only in light of what Scripture has said, but in light of what the church has taught. That's why we have orthodoxy. The point is, is that cult leaders and false teachers, they make up their interpretation, and their interpretation does not line up with the word. That's why we are to test all things and to hold fast what is good, as 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says. That's why we are to rightly engage the scriptures in context and then to interpret them correctly. This is the task of biblical interpretation, and we must be clear about it. If your interpretation does not line up with what the Bible says, and it's not given in the correct context, or it goes against what the church has taught, you can be sure that your interpretation is wrong. That's why, yes, as you, as you preach, as you, if you're a man, if you teach, whether that you're a woman teaching to, teaching to other women, or you're a man teaching to other men, and so on and so forth, that's why we must check our work, you know, with the original languages even, and also with commentaries, over and against what what so not only what does the bible say what does it mean we got to understand how to do hermeneutics right which we have a whole issue of our magazine on our website devoted to this you can go to servants of grace under publications or on our website you can scroll down to magazine click on the little icon that says uh theology for life and a little image that says theology for life and you can go scroll down and find the issue of our magazine, Theology for Life, on hermeneutics, the art and science of biblical interpretation, and that will help you to learn more about what biblical interpretation is. It's vital that we we understand what it is over and against, and to rightly so that we are rightly handling the Word of God. But there's more to say about this. 
Another troubling sign is when the group's leader is the primary focus of attention. Now, Jesus, we know, is the head of the church, and everything we do should bring glory to him. But oftentimes, cult leaders enjoy having the spotlight focused on them. They want big lights. They want a big show. They want the focus all to be on them. Their bigger-than-life personalities shine brighter than anyone else around them, including the person and the work of Jesus revealed in the Word. And so when someone is always talking about their ministry rather than the ministry that God has given to them, then red flags should come up in your mind and in your heart. And the same is true when their followers focus more on a human leader than on the person and work of Jesus. Paul had to deal with false teachers in Corinth after he left there. And much of what he says in his second letter to this church is relevant to false teachers. Those he called false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ in 2 Corinthians 11.13. In 2 Corinthians 3, 1-3, Paul says this, And we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you from or from you? Your, yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so these false teachers would brag about their credentials, their even their qualifications. And on the other hand, Paul pointed to the changed lives, the transformed lives of people that he had ministered to. Now, another sign of caution is when much of the leadership activity is hidden from view. While there's some personal issues that do need to be kept confidential, we, we need to be careful about this as well. Uh, when decisions and finances are shrouded in secrecy with no accountability, the likelihood is there is a significance or perhaps an issue that the leadership is proffering from, to the detriment of those in the local church. Attempting to penetrate this shroud of secrecy is going to be discouraged. This kind of leader has no interest in trying to justify their actions or even be held accountable. Those who seek transparency end up being ostracized and eventually excluded from the group, with their reputations attacked and maligned. What Paul had to tell the Corinthian church is appropriate here in 2 Corinthians 4, 1-2. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and even shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Throughout this letter, Paul distinguished himself from those false teachers at work in Corinth. He was likely contrasting himself with these false teachers when he said he had to renounce secret and even shameful things along with uh, deception. In contrast, these teachers were operating in private and with deception, and some of what was happening in secret was even shameful. Now, there's nothing wrong with having nice facilities to meet in, facilities that glorify God, enhance the worship experience, and provide a place for the members to meet in fellowship, in prayer, and in Bible study. But when a disappropriate amount of energy and even finances and the group is involved in building and maintaining elaborate facilities, something is amiss. Jesus' message to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, 14-22 speaks to this. The church at Laodicea was one that proudly proclaimed its wealth 
and its lack of any need, and yet Jesus saw them as wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and even naked. And so when material prosperity becomes the focus, a group and its leaders have wandered away from God's calling to be his church. False teachers and cults around the world praying, prey on those not grounded in and shaped by the word. That's why we must be in the word. That's why we must be in a local church under biblically qualified male pastors who are going to preach and to teach the word of God to us. They're going to help us to learn sound biblical and orthodox theology so that we can grow in the grace of God, so that we can speak the truth in love, and as Ephesians 4.15 says, so that we can contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, as Jude 3 says. And so we need to be continually growing in our knowledge of the Christian faith so that we're not taken in by false teachers. We're not deceived by their methods, their teaching, by their doctrine, by their theology. That's why here at Servants of Grace, we continue to produce uh, articles that are designed to help you to to know what the Christian faith is. That's why we take questions like this, and we are aiming to help you to understand what the Christian faith is all about, what it means, and how to defend it, and also why we uh, interview leading Reformed and Evangelical authors on Equipping You in Grace, and why we discuss many matters across the Christian life and ministry so that you can be helped and equipped and we're aiming to provide these resources for you to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord as 2 Peter 3.18 says. And so I want to thank you today for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.